All right, welcome to Now This Is Podcasting. I'm your host, Connor, and I'm here as always with Calvin. Hey, thanks for having me. Feels like we've, it's been a long time. It has. I had like midterms and stuff, and so we had to, we kind of cut back the episodes we put out too, but I'm glad to be back in here. We, we haven't done one in a while, so I'm excited to, to get to talk about, uh, we're talking about The Power of the Dog today, which has become much more popular lately because it got nominated for 12 Oscars. It's literally the only reason we're, we're, we watched it. I, I remember it coming out in November. I was like, I'll read a review on it and, uh, you know, move on from that because I, we just watched too many movies. And then to find out all of its nominations, I was like, well, maybe I'll give it a go. I'm sure it's not worth 12 nominations, but at least then our opinion on it will be out there. Right, right. So this was directed by Jane Campion. Uh, she did... Uh, the only thing I could really see that she's done lately was uh, she's done a show called Top of the Lake, and then she did a movie called Bright Star in 2009. I mean, uh, I guess... I think she's been nominated for, uh, like, uh, Best Picture before. Uh, I think I, I read that she's the only woman to be nominated twice as director, so... Oh, interesting. Yeah, I've no... I have no familiarity with her filmography. Yeah. Uh, but this had a, a budget of 35 to $39 million. It came out on Netflix, so I was surprised I could even find a budget for it. But it only made, you know, 200 k in the box office because, again, it's it's a Netflix movie. And it was two hours and five minutes. It felt that long to me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so let's kind of just give a brief synopsis on it. This is about a repressed gay man who takes his anger out on all the people around him. And then there's kind of a half-ass redemption story in the end, I think. It's funny that you call it half-ass because that's part of my problem is I feel like it's it's a fully res- redemptive story of him. But we'll get into more of that later. But yeah, I agree. Like this just feels like it, it's just a story about Benedict Cumberbatch playing this character uh, named Phil who is a gay cowboy and just is a total asshole yeah I, I i know i was trying to like you mentioned before that maybe we should maybe you should stop cussing as much comments so i was okay, like okay right. what what? but that's really the best way to describe him is he's just uh cantankerous in in every sense of the word mean-spirited uh everybody has a nickname that's derisive oh he calls his brother fatso all the time yeah yeah just like and constantly not even like ever mean or anything just like business yeah 1500 castrated a day fat so yeah. <laughs> it's just like so yeah i think that's that's really in a nutshell what this is i don't think that's it really rise there's anything really deeper than that then it's just really a character study of of him i would say that this story really is is phil's um what did you think about that because that's i think the, big, the biggest problem with this is like i don't know what they were really trying to say yeah i agree i it seems to focus on him and then at the end it feels like it's from Peter's perspective and it's been about like kind of his kind of scheme and plot as well. So it felt like it was supposed to be a movie about Phil and kind of his his like inability to be the person that he really is. And so he he then like takes that out on the people around him who are able to be the people they want to be. His brother is kind of wants to he doesn't really seem to want to be a rancher. He wants to be more like high class. He has the mayor over and he gets kind of belittled by Phil for that. His wife, um, played by Kirsten Dunst, gets like mocked for how she plays piano, even though she kind of she just likes doing it. So they're all able to be the person they want, and Phil is in conflict because he can't be that. But then at the end, it's all about Peter and what he's done. So it, the movie kind of it seems to focus on one character for the majority of it, and then in like kind of the last chapter of it, it changes. And I'm not really sure that I track on it very well or that it fits as well, even though I think Peter's story is like really 
important as well. Yeah. So broadly speaking, I would say I thought at first this story was going to be about George, uh, Jesse Plemons' character, because at the beginning of the film, uh, there's a conversation that he's having with Phil. And Phil makes the comment that it sounds like it pains you to hitch two words together. I love, that's like one of my favorite lines of the whole movie. I it, thought it was great. <laughs> yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah, that's that's one of my favorite lines too. It's uh, it's very quirky. It's uh, it really breathes life into that character. But yeah, so the, it feels like there's this oppressive force on George um, coming from Phil. So it, I thought this story was really going to be like how. Phil is hurting everyone around him, how he's making this this um, ranch a tyrannical fiefdom. But then if you look at the overarching structure of this film, it's a lot of George at the beginning, George and Rose's relationship, Phil's always there, and then they get married and they go through some, and then they're in the house and, you know, I, they're I like... I love when he tells him that he's like, oh yeah, we were wed, like last Sunday. Like he didn't even tell like his brother right away. Like, yeah. I love that. And that's like that there, I think is right when we realize, okay, maybe this isn't about George. Cause why didn't we see that? Right. Right. Um, even though it talked about like their relationship and how he cried uh, while they were out in the field and just so good to not be alone. You know, you think you still think that this is George's story until we get to the fact that we didn't see their uh, wedding and then, okay, maybe this is about Phil. And then, Rose and George kind of fall away for the rest of the movie. Right. Pete's also like at the beginning of the movie a little bit, uh, Rose's son, and then he's at college. And then he shows up in the second half of the movie, and then it's about Phil and Pete. The one constant through everything is Phil. So that's why I thought this whole thing was from Phil's perspective. It's Phil's story. It's a character study of Phil. So then you get to the, the twist ending, and it's suddenly not about Phil. Yeah. Like going back and watching it a second time, I can see all of these influences. Peter was a lot more important to me. But the way you've structured this film, the editing of this film is really alienating. No, yeah. I think we'll definitely, I definitely want to get into more of the editing. Like, cause that's, it's confusing how it's paced and everything. I think we had talked earlier, it's, it feels like it's uh, not as coherent, like the time jumps. Yeah. Like, I, I, I don't really know the, like, what's the scale of the story? How long is this taking? Like, what's the period of time that's happening right now? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just keeping in line with the editing, it didn't feel like there was any momentum carried from one scene into another. And that might have to do with, like, the time jumps, I guess. But it didn't feel like we were building from one important moment to the most important moment or, like, maybe having a, a, a an ease and momentum for a little bit to build up to a new scene. I don't know if you watched on Netflix after the movie. Uh, there's, like, a behind-the-scenes, like, short about it. Hmm. No. And the director, she's working with uh, Jesse Plemons and... Um, Kirsten Dunst? Yeah, sorry. She's working Because they're married in real life. Yeah, right. Which is funny, yeah. yeah. I, wouldn't, I mean, I feel like Kirsten Dunst I was, could have done better. I was shocked to find that out. <laughs> um, but it's a scene where they're, they're dancing together in the field. And she was like, this is the most important scene in the movie. We have to like get this. And I was like, really? This was an important scene? Because, again, I didn't feel like there was, there was no buildup to it. There's no momentum carrying you to it. And I was shocked to find out that that was a scene that was supposed to be important. Yeah. Like the fact that George starts tearing up is really just, it feels like it's trying to fill in gaps that were there about his character. We don't know that he's been lonely this whole time. We just know that, like, hey, this is a hot waitress and I want to get with her. It doesn't feel like a real romantic story because that doesn't feel like the point because this is about Phil. <laughs> yeah, it definitely didn't feel romantic. Uh, you know, when uh, George goes to talk to her, she's crying in the kitchen. He's like, you can send me the bill. Like, you can mail it to me. 
yeah. he's like not smooth at all. He's such a charmer. It's so funny. Instead, he just throws on a ragged. He's like, I guess I'm your waiter tonight. It was, it was so funny. Uh, you can mail me the bill. <laughs> if it makes it easier for you. It's so funny. Um, so we've been talking about uh, George and Rose. Uh, I want to know, like, does George matter and does Rose matter? Okay, so I don't think that they do. I think that the only they only exist to bring Pete to the house. Yeah. Um, and they're just there's. I think what they were really trying to go for is that Pete is this. I mean, there's an opening line at the beginning of the movie, right, about how um, it's Pete doing a voiceover talking about if I can't protect my mother, what kind of man am I? Mm. I, you really need that line, otherwise no, the rest of this movie makes no sense. Um, I had even, but I forgot about that line by the time I got to the end of it because it doesn't seem to matter. Because Pete is in two scenes in the first half of the movie, so right. I don't think it really is about that. Like I think what they were trying to do is trying to show this lovely relationship between George and Rose and how Phil is ruining it through his just in in general being a terrible person. But we spend so much time on their relationship that when they disappear in the second half of the film, it's like, well, what was what was the point of that? Like, we we really fleshed out their character, but they don't exist thematically. It's not like we needed to know these stories about them to carry uh, to underscore uh, an important point about the movie. It's just to show them as people and as characters, but they only exist as chaos and discord. Uh, coming from Phil. Right. I, I agree with you on that. I think both characters, especially Rose, function in this movie to show you who Phil is. Mm-hmm. That They're not really important in and of themselves. I mean, because I think Rose is about as one note as her piano playing. Yeah. Um, and Kirsten Dunst is fine. This is actually Thank you. I was really proud of that one. <laughs> it took me a moment. I was just like, yeah, yeah, preach. And then, oh, you slid that one under the table. Thank you. Um, <laughs> But I, I I think she needs to exist because we need to have someone for Phil to beat down. Phil needs someone to belittle because Phil needs to be unlikable. Otherwise, his like redemption doesn't matter. And I still don't think his redemption matters. And I think we can get more into that a little later when mm-hmm. we talk more about Phil. But I think Rose operates in this movie in a much more important way than George does. Because, yeah, George kind of gets talked down to and stuff. But he's not really an important character. I think Jesse Plemons is as blank as a ream of paper, man. I, <laughs> yeah. I don't... I don't hate him or anything, and I don't think he's a bad actor. I just think he works better as, and he's a supporting actor in this, but I think he needs to be even further from supporting. We we really explored his character way too much because this character is also deeply uninteresting. I mean, for a little bit of the, the movie, you feel kind of sympathetic towards how poorly Phil is treating him, but then at the end, you're like, wow, you're just kind of a waste of space, and I can see why he, he treats you that way because you're getting in the way of what is his uh, idyllic ranch scene because you're just not there or you're reaping the benefits for yourself or you're not paying respect to why you have all of this privilege in this ranch in the first place. Right. I, again, I don't want to like dog on Jesse Plemons because I think he's, it's so weird. I love him in Breaking Bad. Mm. Just like this dead eyed kind of creep that doesn't understand right and wrong. But then he plays the same character in El Camino and I thought he wasn't any good well, El Camino was terrible. Oh, I liked El Camino. El Camino was dumb fan service. I'm so, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that after saying <laughs> you liked it. Um, but I realized the more Jesse Plemons is on screen, the more limited you find out his range is. I think it's just that character, though. I think he, that he's 
I made a note of that too. I don't, his character and the way his character is written isn't helping him at all because mm-hmm. they were like, be boring guy in this movie. And he nailed it. But the problem is, is like, and part of the reason why I thought this movie was more about Phil the whole time is he's kind of the only character that's doing anything. Peter's also interesting. I, he's the only character that I think remains consistently interesting because there is like a change in his character. Mm-hmm. But Phil and Peter are like the, they're the showstoppers in this movie. So to have so much of the story kind of, like you said, revolve around Rose and George for so long, I was like, dude, these these are both entirely uninteresting characters. And like we said, their function only needs to be to get Peter to the farm. And then it's fine that they drop out of the movie, but we already spent so much time with them that now that they have dropped out of the movie, we wonder why they were in there in the first place. Yeah, I'm invested. And it's weird that we that Kirsten Dunst, uh, I mean, the the entire character of Rose is just the old school trope of hysterical woman, you know, like how hysterics was like an actual medical condition and it plagued the woman folk of the 18th and 19th centuries. I I felt like that was really poorly done here because yeah, she's just like out in the middle of the field, like beautiful gloves, yeah. and like then she faints. Uh, it it felt like so stereotypical yeah. and for nothing. I mean, the gloves, gloves are obviously an important symbol, right? But still, it was still just nonsensical because we don't care about, about her at that point. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I wonder, what did you think of how the drinking worked in this movie? Because I don't think it was important at all. It came out of nowhere. Yeah. I, I think it was important in that it really reinforced the idea of like, oh, I, I cannot deal with Phil and living in this house and being, you know, repressed in the same way that Phil was, you know, right. that that type of uh, personality uh, overbearing and 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 being the dominant trait of the household. I think that's all it's there to show. But it just happened out of nowhere. And she's just sauced all of the movie. And it's like a bigger subplot of the movie too whereas i think that at the end when she gives the hides away you could just have it be like she gives the hides away because she doesn't like phil yeah she's pissed at phil that's and that all. would make more sense to me yeah i would totally understand then like yeah exactly because then it's just like uh this hysterical woman that just you know can't control her liquor doing things to rankle phil but i think that it's, it's a very different story if she's completely sober and trying to undermine phil yeah i do too so, and I don't know how much of the screenplay was adapted from the source material. I know the source material isn't, it's not exactly an autobiography, but the person who wrote it apparently was like repressed gay as well. And he hmm. worked on a ranch. And so I don't know, maybe, maybe he had a figure in his life, his mom or whomever, who was drinking a lot. And maybe that's why it made its way into the story. I just don't think it worked as well as this in, in this film, because like you said, it kind of comes out of nowhere. It's, it seems like, like she got what she wanted. She got a husband. She got, a, she got land. She has a nice household. They have like maids and they have people who work for them. Like why are you, it seemed like a, her station in life is elevated. So then to, to turn to drinking only because of Phil seemed not to fit very well to me. Yeah. Not only that, but it, I mean, obviously the way they play with time here is very, is very weird, but he works as a rancher. He's not there a lot of times, you know? I agree. Because yeah. they're going to be on cattle drives. So I don't know why we insist on phil always being there unless like it denies the reality of his profession yeah no i yeah i don't i didn't love the drinking in it i thought it was a weird take apparently kirsten dunce would spin around in the room to make herself dizzy before they filmed oh that's funny she should have just taken notes from robert pattinson and just actually (laughs) Actually drank the drunk (laughs) (laughs) i would have loved that oh man 
Like that would other... be that would be amazing to see a movie of Robert Pattinson and Kirsten Dunst just uh, just drunk the whole time and like, singing she- sea shanties. I want to see them like the, all the behind the scenes though, where Robert Pattinson just doing <laughs> shots between takes and Kirsten Dunst is just spinning around like constantly. <laughs> That's what I want to see. <laughs> um, another bit of like kind of the between Kirsten Dunst and Benedict Cumberbatch, they were so in character during the filming of this that they didn't even talk to each other on set. Apparently. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I mean. I think I've given my opinions on character acting. I didn't like even really like this movie that much. So it didn't really matter to me that they were in character all the time for this. So, I mean, actors can do whatever they want. And if it works for you and if it gets you in the right like space to give a performance that I just care about it more when it's a performance that's like transcendent and nothing about this movie was transcendent to me. So the, the, like the, the kind of character acting we got in the lighthouse, I was like, Oh, okay, cool. Like, I can appreciate them like embodying these characters because I thought that movie was transcendent. I think it's amazing. Mm-hmm. I got nothing out of this movie though. So the fact that you like Benedict Cumberbatch didn't shower for like two weeks to get into character. It's like, I don't care about that. Oh, that's amazing. It just he makes absolutely, you gross. Like, he absolutely looks like it too. He's <laughs> gross, man. <laughs> I want to talk about the music because I feel like the music insists on one tone and one interpretation for this film. It, at times it feels very, very limiting to the viewership experience. It doesn't, it robs us of the nuance of what's happening in almost every scene that it's in. And I just want to know what you thought of its role in this film and whether it even accomplished that. It seems like it's everything is just played randomly. Like it doesn't feel like the music is trying to build the emotion of the scene or give you an idea of what the character is. There's plenty of movies that have like themes that play along like when a certain character comes in. I thought about that piano music where it seems like out of time, right? Mm. Like the, the keys, they, it doesn't Slightly out of being, tune, yeah. yeah. And I was like, that would be a good theme for Phil or Peter because I feel like neither of them get to be outwardly the person they are. They're just kind of off a little, like the timing isn't right. And I thought that theme, I kept hearing it throughout the movie, not playing when Phil or Peter were on screen. <laughs> Just, but it felt like that would match the tone of those characters, and that was part of my problem with the score. It just, it just seemed to either like swell up at certain points where I wasn't expecting it to, or we had no music at points where I thought there was big emotion, and so the score was so all over the place to me, and it never fit. I think the uh, emotional intent of any scene or matched uh, a character in any way. So I think it all sounds pretty cool. It all sounds mm. like it fits in the movie somewhere. It just never landed in the right scene to me. I think the beginning was nice the, with the with the plucking strings. Oh, yep, you're definitely right. Yeah, because I feel like okay, that's at the tone. Something is off about wh- whatever relationship is between these brothers. Um, but yeah, I when I when I say it lacks nuance is I kept waiting for Phil to do something to Peter because the music felt like it was forcing me to uh, to think that that something bad is about to happen. We have only see Phil be bad this whole time. I right. kept, th- I kept waiting for something to happen where he would oh, suddenly take control of Peter, whether it was you know sexually assaulting him or whether like he, uh, they have like an argument and he uh, beats Pete out of like uh, his own repressed rage, like as an expression of his own uh, self doubt. No, he, he just beats a horse out of his own repressed rage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's what I mean. Is like I felt like they're like looking back at the movie after I got to the end of it. There were really tender moments between Pete and Phil, at least from Phil's perspective. Right. But the music doesn't want you to think that. And I think that's really, it's really limiting to how you can 
what you've created as a film. If you had taken music out entirely, everything is very ambiguous. I think the ending is much, much better. But yeah, like when when every like exactly what you're saying, everything's one note. There was never anything happy or exciting, and it it didn't seem like it ever correlated with what we were actually seeing on screen. Yeah, I think I turned to Hannah too, and I was like, "Do you think this has like horror ominous tones to it?" I was like, "I again, I think it was cool. I think they were experimental and tried to not have a typical uh, score to this. It just never seemed to work for me. It didn't ever seem to like land in the right way. But I yeah, I remember thinking the same thing. Like, oh man, something bad is definitely about to happen." And then he just like puts the cigarette on Phil's in Phil's lips or whatever. And I felt like it was building to something. Yeah. Like, and it just never happens. Yeah. I mean, there was like the moment, like, um, he's Phil has his hand on the back of Pete's head. The camera is swirling around them. Mm -hmm. It's really disorienting. And you have the music like very dramatically, like these little plucks of strings. It's very uneasy. And he's just like, that's so nice of you, Pete from, I promise you from here on out, it's going to be smooth sailing for you. Yeah. He actually means that he deep down actually cares for Pete, but that's, that's not I, what the I music is telling you. I, oh, it's yeah. telling me that he that he is uh, like gaslighting him, that he is about to uh, undercut him. Like this is just a, a tactic of an abuser, but it never comes to light. Right. And so I then I wonder then why did you think that those things went together? Because they clearly don't. Well, I think because I think later on you find out it's probably more Pete's story than than Phil's, and so from his perspective, it is, like, maybe scary or ominous, and, like, this is a tense moment for him. It's not as tender as Phil thinks, as it is for Phil. Mm -hmm. So, I agree with you there, but at the same time, like, if you just took the music out, then both both things work. It works the first time, and it works the second time. I think almost this whole movie works with almost no music in it. Uh Uh-huh, 100%. Which is not typical of me, because I love my scores. Yeah. But uh, uh, there was a lot of time. Again, it just, it, None of it ever seemed to fit. So I was like, just be quiet. Like, please, it's distracting. <laughs> yeah, because everybody's performance was great. You know, you've got, you know, white bread uh, George. That's the only thing that's like uninteresting. But he's really just a bouncing board for all of the other things yeah. happening. Like there's, yeah, he's he has no flavor and he doesn't, he's not meant to, like, honestly, if he was just a ranch hand and like they get rid of, get rid of George entirely. And Rose is some distant cousin, some long lost sister coming home, her husband, uh, died and so she needs to move back into the house and it's Phil's sister and she brings along Pete. Perfect. We just cut 30 minutes of this movie that really didn't need to be there or probably not 30 minutes. We cut like a significant uh, part right. of this movie that that isn't working towards the final goal then. Right, yeah. Because George just isn't important in this movie. <laughs> and again, I know it's the source material had George in it so you have to put him in. I don't think you do. Like, again, like, I think the editing suggests that this movie was two hours and 45 minutes. That was their final cut. And they cut everything down to two hours and eight minutes and hit all of the the, the plot points. Because, like, Pete going in and uh, finding that dead cow. That's the same day that he was let out of the corral um, yeah. and told to, like, ride. And it was... I think it's the same day. We don't change days. We don't go anywhere. He's just, he falls off the horse, chases it. Next shot is him inside fixing a pack to go up to the mountains, up to the hills. I guess I just assumed it was later, like weeks later, because he's like, I mean, he's still like scared, but he's like a better rider. So maybe he's had more time in the saddle, I guess. Yeah, but that's weird. Like we'd already gotten to that point. Like that was his third week learning how to ride in the corral. Yeah. So why why are we jumping around to everything if it's just like it's about plot points and about getting all of this material? You 
neat you could have just cut this character that's holding you back from getting all of these plot points while filling out interesting details in between and i certainly think there was a quick turn from phil mistreating peter to him now like wanting to be friends and i do i think there was there was definitely more uh there was more there was more material shot for sure that like fleshed this relationship out Mm -hmm. and again if you just take george and rose out mostly if you just have them get peter to the ranch then now you have like you have much more time to spend on phil and peter which doesn't really matter whose perspective you think it's from their story is the one that matters in this film so we need to have we need to have that like fleshed out more it's too quick of a turn especially like when when peter's walking up to phil when they're all camped out and like all the guys are like whistling at him and they're like throwing homosexual slurs around at him (laughs) and then phil's just like hey i think we got off on the wrong foot like i'm gonna be your bud now it's like the tone of that scene didn't even make any sense to me because like all all the people who seem to look up to phil and like his uh and they look up to him and how i I think he's kind of emulated uh what is it bronco henry yeah man he loves saying the full bronco i love it it's so funny (laughs) and they always ask him stories about bronco henry and they seem to have a lot of respect for phil so if he's not mistreating peter then why are they all why are they all mistreating peter so that just the tone of that scene didn't make any sense to me and I yeah. just thought you needed to, you need you need to focus on one thing. Like just have maybe maybe the scene, I mean maybe don't uh, spell it out too much for the audience, but a scene prior be like you know have Phil be like hey knock it off boys, and then the next scene he's like nicer to to Peter, and then it's much it's just much more cohesive, and that feels like a scene that maybe got cut out. Yeah, because I mean in between like the previous scene was uh, Pete finding uh, Phil in his watering hole, and then you know <laughs> Phil her you know, Benedict Cumberbatch, full frontal chasing Pete. <laughs> yeah, that was great. <laughs> Do you know that was mostly, uh, that was mostly improvised, I guess, by Benedict Cumberbatch. It was supposed to be, like, he was supposed to have that handkerchief, it was, like, keeping it in a pocket or on his chest. It was his choice to put it on his crotch to make it more intimate. Uh-huh. And that whole scene was basically just him improving out there, apparently. That's funny. I don't know if the chase down was improv. That would have been That would have been great. I honestly, I mean, the camera kind of suggests that it is because, <laughs> like, it just stays there and they're like, oh my we had this was a one camera setup shot i have no idea what to do now so they just left it (laughs) i actually love that that's probably one of my favorite parts of the movie is you you really get a sense of he's got this whole like little fort built in his own little secret place with Mm -hmm. his own little like kind of uh, like pornography collection and stuff and it gets well it was bronco henry's it's just been passed down oh right okay yeah i didn't realize that yeah oh does it say it on the box it says it says property of bronco henry that's right so I liked that scene. It, it 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 you it was the first time you got to see who Phil really was, and then the fact that it was it was Peter stumbling on that, and he has this own kind of secret weirdness to him too. Mm-hmm. It was it was kind of this cool connection between them, I guess. And then when that leads into Peter being befriended by Phil, I thought it made more sense. I just think maybe one scene in between where all the other guys aren't making fun of him too. You yeah, know? one line, yeah. one line the to change the momentum of this relationship yeah. is all you really need. But yeah, like it feels like like he's just reeling in Pete for some other m- device in mind. Like what what is his what is his real end goal here? Well, now that we know that he's gay, like we kind of think that like, oh, maybe he's just going to bring him into the fold so that he can, you know, he's just a terrible person in general. So we we can only speculate as to what his goals are. Right, and that's part of my problem with I think the redemption of Phil is because I, I agree with you. You you said like he's saying these things to Peter, like you know it's going to be smooth sailing for you. I think he I think you're absolutely right. He's being totally genuine. It's this isn't some kind of like lustful taking advantage of Peter. I think he's like got genuine genuine feelings. But you spent the whole first half of this movie making Phil so unlikable 
that like I don't really care that he gets a redemption. It's like you can be repressed and upset and not be a garbage human being to everyone around you, like your family, your your new uh, sister-in-law. He's, I mean, he's awful to Pete in the beginning. It just didn't feel earned to me. I wanted the redemption, but I was like, I think the way I fix this is I think you keep the way he treats Rose because you need to build up that he is, mm. that he needs to be a bad person mm-hmm. and he needs to be repressed. You need to show that he's taking this anger out on someone. He's, he's taking it out on the people that he should love and the people around him. I think if you had one more intimate scene, like the one at his, like his little pond in his own little fort, I think if you had one more scene like that where you get to see a, another kind of glimpse of who Phil really is, then his his redemption in the end and the way he is tender with Peter makes more sense to me. I just think you needed one more little bit instead of just the one thing with Peter and then all of a sudden he's kind of turned a new leaf and now he's kind. That's so interesting, yeah, because I, I, it really worked for me. I actually thought that Phil, like Phil's death was sad to me um, because I was like, he's, you know, he lost out on a great love uh, that he had for Bronco Henry and now he sees himself in uh, Pete and he, he can redeem that relationship. He can re- re- like rekindle that part of himself. I think he's still crass and r- rough around the edges, especially the way he's talking to Pete. But I think that there's genuinely a good person under there for the people that he, he cares for and loves that share similar values. And I think that's the idea of him like, he comes around to that when Pete sees uh, the barking dog in the mountainside. That's a moment where he's like, oh, this this guy gets it. He's yeah. one of he's just like me. So it, it worked for me. I felt like there were enough moments after that where I was like, OK, you know, there is something to Phil. I think he's a good person deep down, um, but he has no tolerance for for anybody else. Yeah, I just think I needed one more. I, I can totally yeah. agree with you because I feel like we spent a lot of time on other people. Yeah, yeah. Again, I just think this movie just need a couple tweaks. I think it could still land in the two hour runtime. Mm-hmm. I just think you just tweak a couple things. Yeah, and then I, and then I probably I'm, I've been more impacted by the relationship that Pete and Phil have. Yeah, and so I, I the other question I have for you then is, it ultimately is about Pete, right? And we realize that there's clues everywhere about uh, Pete's psychopathic tendencies. Did do they work for you? Did you notice them on the second time through? Where they did they did they land different than the first time? I think the like the two big ones for me are the rabbit that he dissects, mm-hmm. and then the other one is I'm, I feel like it's kind of implied that he killed his father. Yeah, I yeah okay. That was one of my later questions. Like, has Pete killed before? I yeah hundred. Okay, yeah no. I I just thought it's like he's like oh I found him and he seems to have so much knowledge about. He was like oh he was strangled. It's like well, no you? no he was hanged. Oh that's right. And he cut the rope down himself. Right. And he was making a rope for himself yeah. out of the raw hide because he was gonna hang Phil. But then saw another way of getting around it by having him killed by the anthrax. Oh man, you looked at it a lot deeper than I did. Okay. Yeah, that's. He, when, when he was saying, I wanted to be like you and make a rope, he was going to kill him. That's why he hides the rope underneath his bed at the end. Did you know, I guess in the source material, Phil beats up Pete's dad, and that's what leads Pete to commit suicide. I mean, uh, leads his father to commit suicide, apparently. Huh. So, I, I, and I still feel like that's changed for this because I, I, I just think I kind of like the idea of... Pete seems to have so much knowledge about his father's death that I think it's... I could surmise that he was involved in it. Mm-hmm. But... That adds another layer to Pete and Phil's relationship if if you add that in, like a fight between him and his father. And that would, it also makes the ending more earned to me too. Because 100%. Because I, yeah, I, I didn't really, we can get more into that either, but I don't know that I 
really love the ending and how what what ends up happening with Pete and Phil. But I kind of like that idea of like there was like animosity from the get go. Like Pete always had like a scheme. This one in the movie, it seems like he's building to that rather than it just being like uh, his goal from the onset. But yeah, so what I, what I was asking though is like uh, all of Pete's clues of his psychopathic tendencies. Like, you oh, the, right, yeah. Yeah, so like the, so like did you, how many of those did you catch the first time through and did they hit a second time differently? Yeah, again, I think it's just the, the rabbit and then the dad were probably the two I I noticed the most, I guess. I so there's multiple was. rabbits because he dissects the one and then the other one that scurries out uh, that's got a broken leg and he just snaps it. Oh, snake. yeah. That to me more felt like that's just what ranchers do you know that didn't really strike me as a uh oh he has a particular problem because like phil would have done it and i don't think phil's a psychopath i think he's mean i think he's rude and crass i don't think he's a psychopath so i just because it's another rabbit that's why i took it that way okay and it also didn't feel like if pete's so weak then how did he so easily snap the neck of a rabbit the other thing that i thought was interesting is uh obviously the comb rubbing the comb that's a good like little tick or something that he had yeah a good little yeah, that makes it makes him seem kind of creepy, kind of. Uh, it certainly does, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know what the big one I saw was when he's hula hooping. Oh, why? <laughs> Did you? Not really. I just, think it's, <laughs> I just think it's the goopiest scene in the whole movie. Yeah, that's. You just had right. all this tension built up from like what's happened in their little diner. Uh, Rose has gone out to check on him, and the the camera pans over to him hula hooping, dude. I like laughed. I'm not, and it was supposed to be like I think an emotional scene where. Like, Rose is checking on a boy who's just been belittled and demeaned. And he's, he's fucking looping. I thought it was so funny. He's really bad at it, too. I thought, I mean, to look at that shot and decide that it ends up in your movie, that is supposed to be like, tackle what I think is a serious subject. I thought it was the goofiest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I don't think it's a part of his actual psychopathic tendencies. I yeah. just thought it was so goofy. That is just strange. <laughs> yeah, that, I just don't know why you make that choice. I just feel like there's a lot of strange choices here. But when you say, like, significant top, like, important topic, like, I read a review that said this was an important movie. And I I don't I don't think I agree, but I also wanted to know, like, like well, how do you think they even mean that this movie is important? I think that today there are a lot of people who don't like get their stories told and there's a there's plenty of people and again this story about a repressed gay man and so i think this definitely is important in a way that it would resonate to someone who's gone through something like that i don't personally feel like i've gone through anything like that i feel like i get to be pretty authentic all the time so this movie isn't going to hit me in that way but i think it is important in the way that you're telling a story especially like in kind of a strange setting that like may not feel like it applies to everyone but you can I'm sure there are people around today who feel repressed. They can't be who they want to be. So I think when you tackle subject matter that revolves around like gender or sexuality and you get big name actors and, and a, a, a good budget and, and you get like competent filmmaking, it's going to be considered an important story. I think like something like Black Panther that tackled like race issues and you got to have a lot of like really great African-American actors in it. And, mm. and it told a story that I don't think the film is any good Right. But I thought it I thought it it was hailed as one of these really important movies because it got to enfranchise more people. Yeah. So I think this movie is important in that way. I like the idea of like, yes, let's tell this story. I just don't think the film is very good. That's my only problem with that. I think it's important in the way that you're you're telling a story that matters. It's not important in the way that it's good filmmaking though. 
Yeah, and I agree with it. Yeah, like the, in, important in terms of cultural significance. Right. Um, is really what I think they're implying. But I don't think so. I don't think that this movie is important because that's not the point of it. It's a personality trait that he's a repressed gay man and he's a terrible person for it, which is a trope for, I mean, every Bond villain has feminine qualities. The uh, Persian emperor in uh, 300 is has feminine qualities. All of these things are are meant to make to be an extra layer of why we don't like this person, why they're an evil or bad person, is the fact that they uh, carry traits that would that uh, undermine the traditional idea of what it means to be masculine. And I don't think that... I think that that's what this film is still doing. I think that ultimately the film kills the person who's uh, has repressed homosexuality as a statement of saying this person is bad. And I think this person is bad. I don't think it's actually saying we should kill people that are gay, that are repressed. But ultimately, if this story is about a repressed gay man that dies because he's a terrible person, what are we really, who are we, whose story are we really trying to tell? I think, it, again, it depends on whose perspective you're looking at. If you look at it from Pete's perspective, he's, he's killing someone that has been a rotten person to him. And mm-hmm. he feels deserves that. If you look at it from Phil's perspective, and this is what I think would maybe makes it more culturally important, is he's been repressed. Finally, is at the point where he feels like he can show himself to someone. When he finally does that, he's shut down. And I think it's more you could look at it more figuratively, you know, killed. But like he, he's rebuked and and turned away. Mm. So I think you could look at it that way. Is like I'm. There are plenty of people who are repressed who far but probably feel like, oh man, I remember the one time I like shared my secret with someone and they turned me down, they turned me away, they they scolded me for it. So I think if you look at it from Phil's perspective, it still is kind of an important story. Or at least it like it's a better story than what what you're saying. And it, mm-hmm. and so I think it can still be valuable in that way. Yeah, and I agree. I think like if everything like if you just don't have Pete kill him, if you cut out the last 30 seconds of this film, I think it's a much better movie. You either get rid of all of the music and then the twist at the end makes sense. But I think Do we want to get into the twist real quick. Yeah. I mean, yeah, let's get into the twist. Cause I mean, at this point, I was like, not expecting it at all. Yeah. And I thought it was really subtle the way they did it. Yeah. I think, and going back, I can totally see it now. Pete is a lot more, a lot more prominent character than I thought it was. It just doesn't fit with anything else in the movie. Right. And I think maybe that's one part where the music makes more sense. The second time I watched it, Mm -hmm. where it is more ominous, and it is, if you look at it, it's Pete's perspective. He's given him this rope that he knows is uh, poisoned. It has anthrax on it. And you see, like, uh, uh, Phil's got his hands in the bowl and stuff, and you see, like, all... It's yeah. all murky and blue. And like and when stuff. he was like castrating the, the bulls, he was saying, I, wh- why aren't you using gloves? And they're, and he's like, I don't need them. Yeah. Yeah. There, there is a bunch of like little subtle things throughout. Mm-hmm. But just plot points. Got to get all, we got to fit all the plot yeah. points in there. But I was, I was surprised by it. Of course, when uh, George is at the funeral home and he's like, yeah, well, he's like, he says Phil was adamant about never, never handling diseased animals. Or and dead animals even. And that's set up at the very beginning of the movie where you mm-hmm. see a dead cow and he's like, oh, it's it's poison, it's got anthrax, like keep our cattle away from it. So everything is set up and I think you're right, it definitely is hitting all these plot points. But I was like, oh, okay, like that's a genuinely good payoff. My problem with the ending is Pete reading the Bible verse and then looking out on Rose and George like accomplished, like he's, he's, a, he's met his goal or whatever. And I was like, I didn't think this was like a murder movie at all. Yeah. And so to have like a, a vengeful killing at the end, I thought didn't fit. 
I think it's also very strange because if we think that he killed his father, because I think that's strongly implied, why is he smiling at them? Does he like George? Does he like George? I don't know. Because yeah. George wasn't in the last like hour of this movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or is George just next? Oh man, ooh, that's ominous. Yeah, that's ominous. And like, so I actually went back and read that whole passage, and it talks about um, uh, being encircled by um, wolves. Like, all there's just a bunch of alliterations to a bunch of things. So there's like that one point where he's uh, all of the ranch hands are circling around him in the the right. horses. Like, almost a lot of the imagery from that passage was actually put into the film. I don't think it was quite as evil or ominous. The first time through, I thought they were just kind of goofing around with him and Phil's like, I, I just, I felt like a lot of it was just kind of him being a, a hard ass, like, yeah. but kind of fatherly, like, right. like, let him out of the corral and you're like, get back up. And he kind of left to chuckle. And I suppose, I thought we were supposed to, I think we were supposed to take that as him being like a major, an evil person. But I thought like, he's just opening up the corral so he can actually learn something no yeah i didn't think he was being a bad guy then yeah exactly you know what? after this conversation i like phil a lot more i think you've changed my mind maybe the ending is more earned than i thought like phil's redemption is more earned than i thought because i'm also starting to like pete a lot less yeah because if he yeah pete the whole time there was like was was a lot creepier than we really let on he was a lot more important of a character than i really thought because again the 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 only thread that ran through the whole movie was phil so that's the only thing I was looking at consistently. Right. And yeah, but I think like if you leave the music the way it is and Phil just dies at the end, well, I still would get rid of some of the music because it's still like ominous in a way that, that maybe there's like malintent. I feel like that music suggests malintent and I always thought it was a Phil, but the fact that it's Pete yeah, right. makes it worse. Um, but I, I think if you get rid of the twist at the end that he was killed then this is this is an important story and this is like something like wow like he had his whole life where he was just uh not never able to be who he was and he took that out on the world and that's you know that sucks for everybody involved right. him included and now it's at the point where you know maybe you know i can be a better person i can really show who i am and have a relationship with someone and then he dies and that's regrettable i was actually like i didn't cry at it because like we had to spend a lot of time telling us that he's a terrible person yeah but there was enough there at the end that we re- i think we redeemed his character that i didn't think that the, that killing him ju- was justified by pete no i think you're right again i think if you keep that source material information in that he's beat up pete's dad before then i'm like okay yeah he, this seed was planted early on then i think it works better but i yeah no i yeah no i'm, I'm coming around on phil you've, you've changed my mind for sure this movie has like more you can look at it i think as phil's story and then the music, it kind of doesn't make as much sense. But if you look at it as Pete's story, the music makes a lot more sense. And then it has this like really sad, foreboding feeling for Phil. Yeah. Which is something I wasn't expecting. Yeah, from exactly. this conversation. Right, exactly. Yeah. And there was, an, okay, there was one other thing that I remember now that uh, suggested that Pete was like, there was more to Pete than we were, they were letting on. And it was when his father was telling, he was telling Phil that his father said, I was too strong of a person. And Phil was like, you? Strong? Yeah. <laughs> they got that one wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Which was, yeah, like, it was kind of funny. And like, you know, like, not, not like, oh, yeah, that's kind of a douche thing to say. But at the same time, like, you get a, a look at Pete's face and he, you, you understand now a second time that he is contemplating how to kill Phil. Yeah. And that is, there is like real malintent and he is too strong. And then again, that really supports the theory that he killed his father because if his father thought he was too strong, that he was really like he, his father knew he was a bad person, then that would make that, that comment make sense then. No, I agree with you. 
I think the ending just kind of obscures like what the point of the movie was going to be. Like it, it makes it feel like, okay, well like who was I supposed to feel for? Who am I rooting for in this? And I, I remember I even looked over at Hannah. I was like, well, wait, he killed him because then he's holding the rope and you know, then you get the, he's got the gloves. Yeah. And you find out it was, the doctor thinks it was anthrax poisoning. Cause I, there was, I didn't think there was a buildup in the movie, which again, I think has to do with the editing. And I don't think there's any momentum between any scene. There was nothing to me that implied that, I mean, I guess besides the ominous music that yeah. Peter was going to do something like that to Phil. I think it maybe could have made sense with like a little more prompt and a little more meat added into the story. But I, I didn't, I remember like, yeah, I just remember looking over and being like, whoa, wait, like, and I guess that's why it's a twist ending, but I wasn't expecting it at all. And I didn't feel like it was, I didn't feel like it was warranted. Yeah. It's not consistent with what the rest of the movie was supposed that's to be. That's the word I was looking for. Yep. It felt like, like to make this coherent and it felt like everything was coherently a character study of Phil, right? Right. So then why at the end did we kill him? If he dies, that's one thing. But if he kills him from a minor character, then where's the where's that? That should relate to an overarching theme, right? But it doesn't. I mean, I saw one review that suggested like everything unfolded like a Greek tragedy, that everything was faded and... You can see everything from the beginning a second time through that all of these pieces were there. And I agree with that. I just don't, I think it's a weaker movie for that because all of the other constituent parts are trying to say something else other than what the ending is. The ending is not, it's not that the ending wasn't there or what, that it was bad. It just doesn't mean anything to everything else we were getting out of this movie. Yeah. I think, I guess, in the end, to answer your earlier question, I think this movie is only important if you look at it as Phil's story. Mm hmm. That's where I, but again, I just don't think it's that. It's not an outstanding film. And let's talk about how everyone else thinks it's outstanding. This got 12 Oscar nominations. Wasn't it nominated for best editing? It was. <laughs> Which is like, again, one of our biggest problems with this. But uh, so Benedict Cumberbatch got nominated for best male lead. I'll give I'll give that one. That one's like, that was good. It wasn't transformative, but it was good. I thought he was fine. Yeah. I, I have no problems with Benedict Cumberbatch yeah. in this. I thought he captured like Rancher pretty well. He was really the, the driving force of what made this film so interesting. Right. Also, Denzel Washington was nominated for best lead. We talked about <laughs> Tragedy of Macbeth not too long ago, and I was like, I did not like him at all in this. I was shocked to find out he got nominated. <laughs> in a vacuum. In a vacuum, his performance is great. It just doesn't, it shouldn't be in that movie <laughs> with other English, Scottish actors. Um, so Jesse Plemons was also nominated for uh, supporting actor. What? Which, I didn't know that. Which is just, I think that's the most egregious one to me. Like worse than the editing, being nominated for editing. Yeah. Because I just don't think Jesse Plemons is, his character is not important. His character is not written well. And, and again, I don't think he's an especially bad actor. It just, he does, does nothing in this movie. No. Kirsten Dunst was nominated for Best Supporting uh, Actress as well. Yeah, she's like... And she's fine. She's good. She's really good at emoting. Like, she's a fantastic actress for that. It's nice to see her back in a, in a, in a big, good movie, you know? This yeah. is, she get Once you get to your 40s, you kind of get forgotten. So it's nice that that Hollywood, the trend in Hollywood recently is to make more stories about middle-aged women. Yeah, no, I, I, I can appreciate that. Cody Smith-McPhee, who played Peter. I don't know if we mentioned that yet, but uh, did you ever watch The Road? Oh, yeah, I did. Yeah. I oh, yeah. I was like, yeah, that's... The most depressing that's... movie ever made. <laughs> he, he's the kid in that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I thought he was in something else, too, that I recognized him from, but I can't remember now. But he was also nominated for Best Supporting Actor. That's ridiculous. Which, 
there's one person. I I can kind of think that maybe two people here should have been nominated. He's just he's just sitting there running his thumb over it over a comb. We get shots of him looking down at the ground and being weird. Anybody with through the power of editing, which is apparently so good in this movie that it was nominated for an Oscar, with the power of editing, you can do that with anybody. Yeah. Did you know that uh, Philip Deneau was originally going to play George? Who is that? He's the weird kid in enemy. Uh, I'm sorry, Prisoners. Wait, the weird kid? Oh, you mean the the, the RV driver? The the one that they lost. Is it, is it the Dano? Bathtub? I've always heard Dano. Oh, Dano. Okay, I'm. Yeah, Paul heard. Dano. Did I say Philip Dano? You said Philip Dano. Dude, that's a hockey and... player. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh man, yeah, I was like, man, Connor, okay, name me, dropping people that I've never. Let heard me start of. that over. I love it. Though. Okay, so My, Paul Dano. Yeah, Paul Dano. <laughs> I'm so sorry, um, dude. I got. I'm a big hockey fan. You know that. Sorry, I can't believe I mixed those <laughs> up. Uh, but yeah, you know, he was originally cast, and then like scheduling conflicts, so he couldn't be in it. He would have been too old, though. I think he's too young. To play, oh wait, to play George. Play George, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, for some reason, I thought you misspoke and you you were talking. About I already misspoke, so I, I I think that you're right to assume I was going to be wrong again. <laughs> I think he, he would have been total miscast, so I'm glad he had scheduling conflict. Yeah, I don't know if he's, I don't know which I'd prefer a, a too young George or a bad Jesse Plemons. So. Yeah, exactly. Power of the Dog was also nominated for cinematography. It's um. Ari Wagner. Yeah, and I can totally agree because, like, I th- I was like, wow, man, I've never seen Montana look this pitch- picturesque before, but uh, it was actually shot in New Zealand, so that makes a whole lot more sense. Yeah, I thought that was weird. It's <laughs> 1920s Montana, but the whole thing is filmed for in. budget constraints. They went to New Zealand, but it was also a pandemic movie, so that makes sense. Uh, Jane Campion is also uh, a New Zealander. Zealander so. Yeah, and and I know like that's a big thing New Zealand does. They have all these tax write offs and stuff for. Mm-hmm. for filming so it, i'm not surprised that movies are filmed in in new zealand yeah and there are the cinematography really is good the lighting is really good and a lot of the uh they went with a lot more natural lighting on uh the interior scenes which is very interesting i love that more expressive lighting rather than um using bounce boards and everything doesn't quite look the same and looks you know all of the sun shining through the windows and you get these hard these harsher shadows there's also a lot of like uh shots of um them like walking through mud and everything's kind of gritty like when they were carrying the piano in there were a lot of shots of the the boots of the guy stomping through water and mud i don't know what that means because it doesn't mean anything thematically i don't think but it was very interesting to watch because that was not the subject of that of that scene so it was that was why why is that a focal point but it was still a really cool image my thought on this is if this movie gets nominated for cinematography then so should lamb 100 percent. because these are both just amazing establishing shots of beautiful mountains and and there's obviously more to that as well but i'm saying these movies kind of felt like they had that same quality to me like natural lighting and stuff like that like everything felt authentic we're going to talk about another movie, uh, The Worst Person in the World. That movie has the most authentic lighting I think I've ever seen. I, yeah, I think that movie is great. Especially for how everything, how interior everything is. Like right. how everything takes place inside. The fact that everything is so naturalistic is really cool. Yeah. No, I'm excited to talk about that one. Um, that's also got nominated for, uh, I think, was it Best International Film? Yeah, Best International Feature. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to talk about that one. Um, you talked about the boots clomping and 
splashing about. This got nominated for sound as well. Cool. Not really sure why though. I don't. I don't either. Uh, Jane Campion uh, got nominated for best director. It seems. I mean, if you're already going to nominate for all of the other parts of, the it's movie, like you have to do it, right? Yeah. Like if you get nominated for eleven oscars and then best director isn't one then like everyone's gonna be like i mean a lot of people i still i already think like it's a joke yeah Um, i mean i mean if this movie is nominated for 12 uh oscars i think that really underscores why it's a joke mm -hmm. we've seen so many better movies this year right so i just think that she she obviously is gonna get nominated and then like we mentioned it got nominated for editing um it got nominated for original score which I think we had a huge problem with the way the score works. Again, I think it's yeah. all cool. It is all original. It it's a great, great score, yeah. It just never works in this movie. No. Let's see. It was also nominated for production design. I don't really do. You, can you do you know what that means? I mean, I'm I'm guessing that just means set design, but they everything is a production. I think it's just a name change now because you don't necessarily have that sets anymore. That seems like anymore. so vague to me to just say production design because that feels like it could be anything. Like it could be a, a storyboarding could be a part of production design. Like, Yeah, I mean, uh, probably not storyboarding as much because storyboarding was really is really two-dimensional. It's about creating a... Storyboarding is... It's either you storyboard or you create a, a shot list. Um, but to me, that's all a part of the production. Uh, production, I, I think that that is, you know, maybe, possibly. I think that, like, set design is one of those words that comes out of the 1910s where everything was shot on sets. Okay, yeah. And there are still a lot of sets in uh, Hollywood movies, but now through the, the power of technology, we can go into the middle of the field anywhere yeah. with our cameras. So pr- production design makes more sense, but it also it also feels like one of those made-up jobs in the 2000s, like data analyst. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. And then it also was nominated for adapted screenplay because you know this came from a book, so yeah. and it was uh, written by uh, Jane Ke- uh, Kepian as well. So she, yeah. she was wholly involved in it. I mean, it seems like it was. It yeah. seems like she had a direction she wanted, and and I think she executed probably what she wanted. I just it didn't land for me. Yeah, I don't know if she did or not, but because like she so she read the book right, and she said it it struck her so it was it. It struck her so much that she immediately tried to figure out who had the rights to it. And she was like, oh, when she when she found that when she realized she had that thought, she's like, oh, this is a project that I'm really interested in. I, I have to make this movie then. Um, and so that's ultimately why it came out is because nobody really heard about this move, this book. There's not a lot of uh, literary critiques of this book that I could find. I couldn't the, the Wikipedia like synopsis of like under the skins movie you, right. remember, you remember the book for that i don't remember if, if it was under no, the skin I as remember well when we reviewed it you told me it was a book i had no idea it was a book prior to because I, I had only seen the movie i had no idea right yeah well there was and exactly like nobody had ever heard of it it's more contemporary but the synopsis of that movie on wikipedia uh, on that book on wikipedia was much more robust than the one on uh uh the power of the dog oh. so yeah it's it would have been one of those books that would have just been forgotten to time uh, if it weren't for the fact that this movie got made. Right. All right. So I think we're ready to score this one on a scale of one to 12 Oscars. How many do you give this? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> How many Oscars I think it deserves? Um, I don't think it deserves. I don't think it needs any. I think I've seen so many better movies this year that I would give it zero Oscars. But for an actual scoring system, there are things that work, you know? There are things that if you just put them to put the pieces together in a slightly different order, 
this is a really really good movie um but otherwise i think yeah i think it holds itself back to being a mediocre to good movie it's like you have to do your own gymnastics to make it better yeah like mental gymnastics yeah exactly yeah. just like inside out what do you mean by that oh yeah because you don't like that one okay okay yeah <laughs> i feel like i spent half of that episode t- telling oh, my yeah. like this is this is how i would fix <laughs> this beloved children's movie i thought we came up with a lot of good reasons to that that would make that movie better um, yeah i think so too obviously Kiefer didn't agree cause... dude he, he was angry in the comments <laughs> yeah he was very <laughs> angry in the comments um i actually i'm gonna pump this up i had this like i had i guess i had it like six six out of twelve i had it halfway there i'm gonna i'm gonna pump it up a little bit i'm gonna give it like seven yeah and i this is a good conversation and i'm realizing that i i misunderstood phil which maybe is kind of the point of his characters he's he is misunderstood and he mm -hmm. can't be who he wants to be so i i actually think i'm gonna i'm yeah i'm gonna bump this up a little bit it's not the greatest thing i've ever seen and it's it's fine it's not 12 oscars fine but uh it's it exists and i think it's still a kind of fine story and i'm sure it's going to resonate with a lot of people really well and it's going to win a bunch of awards so people are going to see it and people are going to talk about it so i guess it's good in that way that there is this story out now it just sucks that the story is put inside of a subpar film yeah and i would i would i'm going to score this a 6.8 out of 12 oscars because the problems that this film has are so simple editing anybody can put together a better edit of this movie these are not things that are technically challenging you got all of the best pieces out of this movie um when you filmed it you just put it together poorly that and that just screams something something went wrong with production with with an executive producer um some studio head somewhere saying this needs to be shorter i don't know what it is but i know it was it was stopped and then started again because of covid but i, I still like I agree with you. I think all the problems are technical. It's not the performances. Mm -hmm. It's, I don't think any of them are like transcendent by any means, but the performances are not the problem. It's the score and the editing that I have the biggest problem with. Yeah. And all I think things you that can you change could change those. Yeah. Yeah. All things that you could either remove or reorder. So yeah, I give it a 6.8 out of 12. All right. Well, yeah, we don't, we don't hold this in as much acclaim as the, uh, the Academy seems to. All right, with that, we're wrapping this one up. I just want to thank you to Calvin uh, for having you on, as always. And uh, remember, you can find our podcast on any platform like Apple Music or Spotify. We also upload all these to YouTube. Uh, go ahead and leave a comment. Tell us what we're doing well. Tell us what we're doing wrong. And if you have any suggestions for things we should do in the future. we uh, Yeah, like I said, we got that suggestion for Borgman. Super weird movie. We'll watch anything. So, uh, yeah, with that, we're wrapping this up. And thank you for listening to Now This Is Podcasting. <laughs>